0: And that's what makes the churches. so that's what we want to talk about this morning is this idea of the church. And and kind of with that thought, I just want to throw my voice in with Rick's in terms of some of the things that are starting this week in the church. Us, people, a couple things. Hopefully, uh, you've heard about these. If not, if you are a runner or you think running, or you think runners are weird, or whatever, this might be a group for you. It's called Run For It. It starts this coming Thursday. Really designed to help folks who kind of run a little bit, maybe get a little better at it, talk about some of the spiritual components behind this idea of running. Do you know, if you don't know, the Bible only mentions a few sports. It's not one of them. That was pretty good, wasn't that? I didn't know it was coming, but that was pretty, right? Well, but but running is, now I'm not making a big thing. I'm just saying that's kind of interesting if you care boxing is too. I'm just saying this is really interesting. So, so the idea is uh, we'll run together, we'll have some fun with that, and then talk about some of the uh, spiritual components behind that. Uh, another group um, that's starting up this coming Wednesday is called Parenting Through the Phases. If you own uh, a little one, and you catch yourself asking the question, is that normal? This is a group for you. Right, because kids go through these phases, and they're actually pretty normal. Our family life team is going to host that uh, that group. It's going to be a great six weeks, just talking about what those phases look like. Because the church is not just adults. So I, I have a history of youth ministry. It used to drive me nuts when we talk about uh, teens and preteens being the future of the church. You know what? They're the church now. Anybody has a relationship with Jesus, they are part of that thing that we call the church, and that's kind of where we're at this morning. We are coming down to the end of a series that we've been in for uh, a couple of months uh, that we've, uh, we, we called it Taste It, and then we, we kind of inadvertently changed the name part way through to Sprint Through the Bible, which I really like, because it kind of feels like a sprint, and if you've been reading with us, um, that's very cool for you guys that are still doing that, congratulations. Uh, a couple of you, I saw on Facebook this week, a couple of my Facebook friends that come to this local expression of the church, they already finished. Yeah, that's woo. But what I was thinking is, like, when I was in school, there was like those overachiever kids. You know what I mean? And we're like we're going to get them. And I'm, just I'm just kidding. That's cool like some finished early, that's good for you and and if some of us have missed a number of weeks and that's okay. Jesus loves us too. So uh so I just think that that's cool we are in this series and this is where we've been. We we started in the book of Genesis, which makes sense cuz that's where everything began. Literally God created everything and we read through Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where where this this plan unfolds where God chooses a people that he's going to impact the world through. And so he connects with these people and and he, and he gives them this promise. He says that, like terms and conditions. He says, if you obey, then uh, things will go well. And if you don't obey me, then it's all going to fall apart. And so then we get to the next section. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings, for Second Chronicles. And we hear the, the story of these people. They're called the Israelites. They become this nation. And more uh, often than not, uh, largely, they choose to disobey God. And so they just continually walk away from him and don't do the things that they want wanted to do. The nation splits into two. We begin to see this whole disaster unfold. And then we get into this really large... Section of the Bible, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zachariah, Malachi. That is Lutheran school confirmation right there. I'm just saying that's what my parents paid for, right? Uh, but, but all these, these these names are really, for the most part, prophets. Individuals that God said, uh, I'm going to speak to this person to explain to the people, the nation, what this is going to look like since you've chosen to disobey me for the last hundreds of years. And so he talks, and I know there's some other uh, books thrown in there like Psalms and Proverbs, some wisdom literature and whatnot. But by and large, it's God speaking to uh, individuals to tell the nation what this is going to look like. This this being taken of. Count- captive, this losing, this privileged stance, and that's, that's what we read. And then silence. Like Malachi, that last book of what we call the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. There's this, this in our Bibles, it's kind of s- sad actually because you flip that page and the, ne- the next page says New Testament and you flip it and you're in Matthew, you just start reading again, but there were 400 years where God was silent between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. And, and, and This Jewish nation, because of their disobedience, were taken into captivity and they were they were just living in a way that they didn't want to be living. And, and 400 years of silence, that doesn't mean nothing was going on in the world. Lots of stuff was happening. Nations were rising and being destroyed. And people were being born and living and dying. Innovation was happening. Uh, uh, cultures were moving forward. Some were falling apart. And, and, and lots was going on. But there was nothing that God wanted to communicate during those 400 years. So so we call them 400 years of silence. Now, I don't know where, where you're at this morning in your own personal journey with Jesus, but I know that there are times where all of us land in these seasons where we feel like God is very silent. Amen? And so for 400 years, the Jews didn't hear from God. His chosen people didn't hear from God. Doesn't mean that God wasn't doing anything, but it certainly means there was nothing that he wanted recorded down. And then, boom! Boom, Like in an instant, Jesus comes on the scene, and, and it's really not like like boom. He was born in a, in a kind of a, a, a unnatural way, but also a very natural way. He was born like like we we're born, and he, he lived for like thirty years, and then he came onto the scene with some ministry. And thirty three years uh, later, uh, he, he dies. He raises from the dead, and then and then we move forward. So this this all of a sudden boom, where, where Jesus is on the scene, and we have these books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories, the biographies of Jesus, what they saw and what they heard, and, and 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 this whole concept is that Jesus was born, he lived, he died all for the purpose of repairing the relationship between people and God. The relationship that God wanted from the beginning, Jesus was going to take care of that. Matter of fact, when Jesus dies on the cross in John chapter uh, 19, it's recorded uh, that he says, It is finished if you know that it is finished or it is done jesus is saying i've done it like that's it like the relationship between god and man can people can now be repaired to what it was because of what i am accomplishing on the cross and a few days later when i rise from the dead and conquer death and we have this celebration like it is finished And we continue to read on because Jesus leaves the planet. And that's where I want to jump in today. So uh, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 1, flip open to that. If you have the app, the North Point app, open to there. The verses will be on there. If you don't have either of those things and want to use a pew back Bible, one of the Bibles in the pew back, feel free to do that. And if you don't have any of that, the verses will be on the screen. You won't be lost. We want you to see this. Acts chapter 1 picks up where the author of Luke, which was Luke, And the author of Acts, which is Luke, where he leaves off in Luke, he picks up in Acts, and this is what he says in chapter 1, starting at verse 1. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he has chosen. After his uh, suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the course of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus died and rose again and then he showed up to bunches of people, freaked them out, kind of funny, and and, and proved that he had really conquered death. Verse 4 says, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, the disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Don't we love waiting? That's what he told him. Like, Jesus just conquered to death. And he, and he showed up and the, the guys were like, Oh my gosh. And he's like, No, it's cool. Touch me. I'm real. It's like, I conquered death. I don't, not, no big deal, but I sometimes think in my head, just like, it's cool. Relax. And so they've got to be excited. Like, the guys, they're like, they're like, they're super excited. Like, let's go. Let's do. Let's move. And Jesus says, Just wait. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I don't know, but my, my, my opinion is that they probably did not have a, a big clue what that looked like. The words made some sense, but I'm not sure they were ready for what's about to come. says, so then they uh, gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, do we get to be in charge again? Does Israel get to rule again? And Jesus says to him, "It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. Jesus lives. Jesus dies. Jesus rises from the dead, repairing that relationship. If you have a relationship with Jesus between God and man, he hangs out with his guys for some time. He shows them he's real. They get very excited. He says, "Wait!" and then he floats into the sky. <laughs> How strange that must have been. Matter of fact, he goes on later to says that you know, Andy's like, "What are you doing? What are you?" It's just read the rest of that's pretty funny. So we get this picture of Jesus telling them. So wait, so Jesus says it's finished. He finishes this repairing relationship thing and then yet he tells his guys to wait. So the question that I kind of want to start with this morning is Jesus did that, if he finished on the cross and resurrection, this repairing relationship between man and God, what's left? Like like I often think, what if it just ended there? Jesus won very cool he grabs his followers they all go up to heaven somehow maybe they float up with him woohoo right there's no sin there's no pain there's no death there's no temptation it's just amazing right wouldn't that be great and the problem is that none of us were there at the time so we would have been left out of that does it make sense his 12 would have went with, maybe the 120 would have went with it. Maybe there's a few more that, that got in the group before. So they would have all left and they'd had this party in heaven and the rest of time and people and generations would have been left without any kind of hope maybe. So it's interesting because the question that it begs is then what's left? And I think Jesus leaves something unfinished. Jesus leaves us something to do, to accomplish. He leaves us something. And I think that that something is the church. I think that's what Jesus leaves. Jump over to chapter uh, 2 in Acts and and starting in verse 1. This is kind of where... We pick up the story because the guys are waiting. Jesus said to wait for power. Don't leave Jerusalem. So they go back to the last place they were, probably the upper room that they had the last supper in with Jesus. And they go there and they're just waiting. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, kind of a big uh, Jewish festival thing, it says they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them pause for a second. That's what they had been waiting for. They didn't know they were waiting for that. They just knew they were waiting for something. And so they've been waiting for days and days and days and days and days. And on this day when they got up and did all the things they normally did, like like got a little bread and made some scrambled eggs and and ate some food and watched the morning news and just decided where they were going to go that day and who had to take out the trash and all of a sudden this wind and fire and crazy starts happening and they start speaking in these known languages that they hadn't spoken in before. This is the thing that they were waiting for. And Verse 5, it goes on. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Because of this big festival, it drew all these people from all these different places. And when they all heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that each of us hears them in our own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya and Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. Isn't that like the stupidest sentence you've heard this week so far? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. So we we have this moment. They had been waiting. Jesus died, repaired. They're waiting for something we have this moment where where this power cut and these guys are just and they 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 kind of run outside and they they just want to share this good news of Jesus and what he's done. And for some reason, God made that moment where these these disciples are speaking in languages they hadn't learned before, but there are no languages and people that are around in the city are like running up, going, "What's going on? I'm hearing my own language!" and and, and it's like they're exciting and they're like, "Hey, we want to tell you about this." And then there's always the one critic in the crowd. It's like, ah, they're just drunk, which again, that's just a, what a dumb thing to say. Like, like these guys who never learned that language are now speaking in that language about the things of God. They must be drunk because when you're drunk, that's what happens. (laughs) You know a language that, but, and we laugh because it's funny, right? But at the same time, don't we do that? I mean, I do that. We see God do these amazing things because he's an amazing God. He does amazing things and we try to figure it out in our head and we go, ah, he's doing that, he's doing that. And I wonder, like if we were writing my story down, if we all be laughing at me in like 10 years. Like, what were you thinking, man? I'm like, oh, God's definitely doing, because sometimes we do dumb things too. And Peter, who I always will picture as the big junior high boy, is like the one who runs out first and he's like, wait, I want to tell you about this. Listen carefully to what i got to say. And Peter begins to unpack this story of Jesus. It's a little funny because he starts in Joel. If you read through the Bible with us, you know that that was one of the prophets. Seems a little obscure place, frankly, if I were in charge to start talking about Jesus. But he starts in Joel, moves backward to Psalms, and ends up giving the good news of who Jesus is. And, and, And he preaches this sermon. And this is what happens at the end of the sermon. In verse 37, this is the response to what Peter and the rest of the disciples are sharing. It says, when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were so moved by what they heard about Jesus and this good news of repairing relationship between God and people. They said, tell us what to do. Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. This moment, that moment, that's the start of this thing we call the church that's this thing that Jesus left us as he finished the repairing of the relationship between God and people he left us this thing called the church and it begins right then it's the start of the church the Greek word is ekklesia and it literally means an assembly or called out ones initially the word was used in lots of different contexts but in a relatively short amount of time this new Christian group really hijacks this word and over time it is almost exclusively used of the Christian group that meets together meaning church this movement that's existed for 2000 years and it's a force that's changed individual lives and cultures and nations this this movement that's held together during dark times like crusades and holocaust and communism as well as bright times like invention innovation cultural justice and reform this thing this movement that we call the church is what's left and the rest of acts this book called acts is really the history of this new movement And it's interesting because it paints this picture that that no longer does getting to God come through one nation, the Israelites, but it comes through one person, Jesus Christ, and this free gift of grace that he offers. And Acts starts with kind of this broad story and then relatively quickly begins to narrow focus onto just a couple of key individuals who take this story forward, Peter and and Paul, and, and kind of their adventures on helping this new movement, this church, move forward and grow. And every book that comes after it, everything after this in the Bible is really a letter to a church to try and help a church figure out how it's supposed to operate, what it was supposed to be doing. Or some of them are letters to individuals who are in a church that they're probably supposed to read to a church about some specific things with the individual. This whole idea of what does this post-Jewish law now in grace and Jesus relationship thing look like? The next book is Romans. Romans is this great theological book. If you're looking to read something to expand your mind and stretch it and make it hurt uh, a little bit and get some great theology, Romans is the book to read. Trying to uh, the author Paul trying to explain how these Jews and non-Jews operate together at the same time. That was new for them. The books after that: First and Second Corinthians, two letters to the church. In Corinth, they had a first letter and then another letter. And it's very practical living stuff. If you're looking to read something, just to get a handle on what does it look like to live this Christ follower life in a contemporary culture, that's what this church was dealing with. So Paul writes to them some of the things that Corinth was dealing with just to make us feel, I don't know if it's better or worse, but some of the things that they were struggling through that Paul writes to them about, they had divisions and dissension in the church based on who they were going to follow. They had a guy sleeping with his stepmom. You think that's not something you have to write about? Right, And yet that was something they were struggling through. And so Paul writes some, some things to help them think that through. They were taking each other to court. They were asking questions like, well, is it better to get married or just stay single? Is it, is it worth it? They were asking questions like, can I eat steak that was used in a pagan ceremony? And then they were asked like, how do I use my gifts and skills and ability in this Jesus context? How do I use them in the church? How do I use them for Jesus? That's interesting, that last one, that whole concept of of spiritual gifts, gifts and abilities, because in the summer, we're actually our expression of the church, North Point, the local church here. We're gonna gonna do a preach a series. We got some assessments we've developed. We're gonna ask everyone to take them just to help you figure out what your gifts and abilities are. And it'll actually help match you to some things that are going on in North Point and see if that's a great fit because we just think people ought to be using their gifts and abilities in ways to serve Jesus is something that Corinth struggled with. And so all these letters that come afterwards are really letters to the church, to different individual churches to try and help them figure out what it looks like to live in this new way, this this beautiful, grace-filled living. And that's it. That's the church. That's this. I don't think that's rocket science. I think we kind of understand that. That that's what this idea of church is. And I, and I think it's the thing that Jesus left for us. And here's what I want to do with the last maybe 10 minutes. I want to try and build a case for something. And, and I know that whenever, uh, uh, the, the guy with the microphone builds a case for something it's a little unfair because there's no dialogue back in our culture we don't have that in junior high culture they would just yell back at me and that's kind of helpful actually but I know it's weird And that, so here's what I'm asking I, I, give me 10 minutes I want to build a case for something it's a little controversial and then if, if, uh, if you want to dialogue it through more I would love to do that with you just reach out to me I'll even pay for coffee or uh, pop or whatever it is you do and, uh, and we can have that dialogue you can tell me where you disagree we could have some fun with that but but what i want to do is i want to build um a case for why being a member of a local church is a good healthy biblical thing not not just a i don't mean just but not an attender not someone who comes uh, all the time even but i'm talking about that that crossing the line of commitment pursuing whatever the membership process is in the church that you would call your home church and actually committing to membership I want to build a case in ten minutes for why I think that's a good, healthy thing, and I'll ask you to do me a favor. If you have the North Point app, if you would pull that up, if you haven't pulled it up already, and um, and I'm going to ask you if you have uh, if you have what we like to refer to as uh, God's preferred phone. That would be the iPhone. Um, click more. It's down on the bottom. But if you have uh, some other version of a phone because you don't like to be told what to do and you want to tweak it uh, as you want, and that's fine. You have some struggles with obedience. I don't know where that is, but click more. Did you find that? Did I talk long enough for you to find it? Click more, and then when you do that, you're going to click the thing that says membership. And then once it opens to, you can't see this unless you're in the front. This is just for you guys in the front. Welcome to sitting in the front. Uh, when it says membership, click apply. You're not actually applying for anything. It's just going to open an application. Don't, it's not a bait and switch. I'm not trying to trick you into it. Just click apply. That's going to open our membership application. I just want you to see that right in the beginning of our membership application, uh, we put what I want to share with you um, in terms of building a case for why I think membership in a local church um, is a, is a good healthy thing. So here we go. Four. Uh, and, and if, uh, if, if you're interested as I'm talking, if you're like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm not a member here, but I, I'm in. Feel free to fill out the application. You do it right now. And, and that's great. And if not, don't sweat it. We'll give you the opportunity to talk with me later. Here we go. Four reasons that I think membership, being a member, not, not an attender, not someone who comes all the time, but like actually clicking the box and, and committing to membership is a good healthy thing. Here we go. Four reasons. Number one is a biblical reason. And I'd say this, Christ is committed to the church. we know that, Christ is committed to the church. In Ephesians 5, uh, that whole chapter, but really verse 25, there's this really beautiful picture, the author paints, of Jesus being committed to the church like a husband ought to be committed to a bride. And it's a very beautiful picture about laying down his life for his bride and that she's the most important. It's like, we love that picture. And and what, what I think is true there too is the reciprocal is expected, that, that, that the bride would also be committed to the husband. Like, like it's not just a one-way street, but, but there's a both and there. I think we understand that. And so I think we could back that up to say there should be a sense where the church, and we just said the church is people, not a building, is committed to Jesus. So there's something that's connected there. Matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, we just read through the Old Testament, you hear God talk about Israel as an unfaithful wife sometimes he uses even stronger language. And, and that picture comes up over and over again because they just chose not to have a relationship with him. They chose to disobey. They do their own thing, blah, blah, blah. And, and so he uses that wife-husband marriage picture because Christ is committed to the church. And I think the reciprocal is 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 true too, that the church should be committed To Christ, And so committing to a church, I think, links you into that. Uh, I I, want to point out, some people make the argument that they say in the Bible, it never talks about membership. So membership's not biblical. And I want to say, I absolutely do think they have membership in the Bible. Bible times, people live back then. I absolutely do think there was membership. It just looked different. Because when there's only one church in town, and you show up to that church it's pretty it's pretty obvious you're you're committed you're a member when there's only one church in town and so so when the church of uh, Ephesus the church in Ephesus uh when you showed up in a time when being Christian wasn't uber popular when you showed up at a time where there was only one uh, church in town you went to that church and you were you were there like you were a member and so if you didn't show up for a time like they would call you because they knew that something was up or if there were needs they'd know because you were there and that was your Church. It's not like you had lots of options. Matter of fact, we see this in lots of Paul's writings as he writes these subsequent letters because he often calls people out by name, sometimes for good things and sometimes for bad things. Wouldn't you love that if your name was in the Bible for the rest of history because he called you out on something? That's terrifying, right? But, we, but it's like this sense that, that Paul even knew who was members of local churches, Because again, it was a little easier if there's only one church in one town. I think the concept of membership was integral to the New Testament church. The process just looked a little different. Here's the second reason that I'd say is a cultural reason. I think membership is an antidote to our society. Uh, We live in a society where few, very few, want to be committed to anything. A job, a marriage, a country, a volunteer organization. It just goes against... The contemporary culture of where we are we love not being committed to anything this this attitude of lack of commitment I think has produced a culture of what we might call church shoppers or maybe uh, America's consumer religion in other words I show up at a church until I'm not getting what I need out of it any more than I leave because I'm the most important and I just don't think that speaks of commitment that speaks of self. It's how we handle grocery stores. Like I go to a grocery store until they don't carry the pop. I like I to go to a different grocery store. That's like, it's fine, right? Because it's not like you're committed to a, a grocery store. But or maybe you are. I don't know. I'm not a grocery guy. If you're in the grocery industry and I've offended you, I apologize. I really don't know how that all works. But I'm just thinking, like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Maybe, But, but with the church, I think it's a huge deal because it's not like I just go there until like, I get what I need and then I'm gone, I go somewhere else till I get what I need. This idea of commitment really pushes against our culture. Um, A friend of mine, he likes to say, commitment always builds character. Commitment always builds character. Here's a third reason. It's a practical reason. It simply defines who can be counted on. Like when you're when you're when you're not a member of a church, can can the church count on you, or can it not count on you? So we are the church. We are people in this room. This room is not the church. The people in this room are, the, are in the church. And if we look around at each other, can I count on you? Can I? I'm asking you. Can I count on you? So when I decide that my wife isn't enough, and I go wanting a different woman, did you hear my wife? I know I can count on one. Praise Jesus for. Can I count on you? In, in my language, with the guys that I spend time with, we say to go get the baseball bat and meet me behind the alley. (laughs) You understand that, boys? Men, are you with me? You understand. Can I count on you to ask me the hard questions? Can I count on you to say, uh uh-oh, can I count on you to say, Chris, what are you doing? How does that demonstrate your love for Jesus? Like, who can be counted on? It's not just about, like, cleaning up a facility and volunteering in a children's ministry. Both of those things are incredibly important, but I think it's this idea of can we be counted on? Can I count on you? Can you count on me? It's a practical reason every team must have a roster every school must have an enrollment every business has a payroll every army has an enlistment even our country takes a census and requires voter registration membership identifies our family membership clearly shows who's all in here's the fourth reason I'd say it's a personal reason and that it, it produces growth membership commitment membership produces growth the New Testament places this huge emphasis on being accountable to each other and I think membership really highlights that concept. You're not really com- committed, you're not really accountable when you're not committed to any specific church family. When when you're doing what you want to do and anybody says, hey, then you just go. And there's no real sense of responsibility or accountability. Responsibility and accountability are major components of personal growth. In a lot of ways, at least in my mind, this is the way I think of it. You know, I'm not looking to to like, Metal pastors love to meddle here. I guess I'm meddling a little bit, but I look at it like like we. I I know I have friends, I have couples that have been living together for a long time, not not married, just living together 20 years. They're they're they love each other and they're committed to each other and they're they're all in. But but friends without this, it just feels different because because this. This makes it a lot harder to leave. Intentionally so. Now there's a process. you got to get the government involved. you got to fill out papers and maybe I'll just work it out. That is the lowest most base reason for not getting a divorce that I ever said in my entire life. (laughs) But this, there's just a level of commitment to this that that is different when when you've been living with a person forever and you guys have joint accounts and children and I I love you. I get that. I'm I hear you. I just think that there is a different. This is that that's com- committed ish, <laughs> and a ring is is committed. Committed. Now, I just I just. I don't mean to poke at people who, if, if that's you, if that's the, the story that you're living. I say, come on down this week. Let's just take care of that for you. Like, we'll have a wedding here. It'll be great. A friend of mine in the auditorium said, hey, we'll just have everyone bring a dish and pass it around. I don't do potlucks. It freaks me out. But we'll do it for this, right? Rick will sing. I'll bring flowers. It'll be amazing. We'll just And I'm not trying to make light of this at all. A, a, a little light moment for us to chuckle in, in, a, in a time that's kind of serious, right? But commitment, we're talking about the church, we're not talking about marriage today. We're talking about the church. Commitment, I think... Produces growth. So there we go. Four reasons um, to, to, that I think build a case for why membership is a healthy thing: a biblical reason, a cultural reason, a practical reason, and a personal reason. And I told you, if that if that's bothered you, if you have questions you want to talk through them, or you just completely disagree with me, you could. I'm off my rocker. You've got the theological background. You want to just have that dialogue, or you just want to talk person to person? Like I'm happy to do that. I will put my email address up there. You can email that. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Every now and then we do a little light moment so everyone has to look up on the screen to actually see that. That's my, that's my actual email. Not that one. The next one, yeah. And um, and I'd be happy to, I, I will buy the coffee if you want a dialogue. I, I do think membership, commitment to a local church is a spiritual thing. I think it's an important thing. And here's, here's what I want to finish with. Ephesians chapter uh, 1. This is just an interesting it's just interesting to me. Uh, and, and I'm working this, this out in my head as well, so I don't have all the great answers on this. Uh, Ephesians written by Paul, it's a letter to a, the church. The people in the church of Ephesus. And he's just helping them, trying to understand what what it looks like to live this this new life in Jesus. And they're working through a lot of things. And in in the first two chapters, Paul just lays out who Jesus is. Like he just lays out who Jesus is and who you are, who I am in light of who Jesus is. It's an incredibly good passage just to continually push into our brains. And it's just interesting because as he's talking about who Jesus is and who we are in light of Jesus, at the end of chapter 1, verse 22, he says this. He says, And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. I know there's some theological disagreement on what exactly this means. But here's what's interesting. There is this link between Jesus and his body, the church, that's inseparable. And there is this concept of Jesus... The fullness of Jesus played out in the everyday stuff of life, that's the church. I just don't think you can get away from the church and still be rightly... Connected to Jesus because there is this fullness of Him that is manifest in this thing we call the church—not this building, not just North Point, but this thing that's full of people, this movement that started two thousand years ago. This thing that God left after He used His Son to reconcile the relationship between Him and people. He left the church. Let me pray, and then we're going to do something very church in just a minute. Jesus, thanks for for you. Thanks for your word. Thanks for uh, our ability to try to think and even have these kinds of discussions and to think through what it means to be committed to you in the deepest ways and committed to each other. You you were clear that you wanted us to love you and love others. And and it seems that that just gets played out through this movement that you've called the church. And so Jesus, thanks for that. Thanks for for this expression of this church, this local body that loves you and loves the community and loves the word. And just, God, I pray that you would help us. And if I've I've said things that have offended people today, God, that you would help in grace to look past that and that maybe um, we would just be charged to think more deeply about our own commitment to this local expression of the fullness of you. I love you, Jesus. Amen.